1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm honored to be sitting in today as a guest host, and my name is Dr. Michelle Watson, also known as the Dad Whisperer. In fact, that's the name of my show here on 93.9 KPDQ at 230 PM on Mondays and 2 PM on Thursdays each week. Well, I've hosted the Dad Whisperer here on KPDQ for about two years, and I realize that many of you probably don't know me. So today, as a starting point, I wanted to tell you just a little bit about myself so you can feel like you know me just a little bit more. Well, as you heard me say, my name is Dr. Michelle Watson, and the doctor part of that simply comes from a few years of school. I have a PhD in health psychology, a master's degree in counseling psychology, and a bachelor's degree in biblical education, which simply means, yes, that I'm in debt, of course, but that I work with counseling clients week after week, day in and day out. And I love integrating theology and the Bible and biblical perspectives with the fact that we are multifaceted people that have a lot of issues, right, that we're wanting to process. And another thing that I'm really passionate about is nine years ago, I started something called the ABBA Project. And it's for dads of daughters, ages 13 to 30, where we meet once a month for nine months. And it's such a joy to see dads come together with a willingness to learn how to be more engaged with their daughters, especially when those mercurial years set in right around the teenage years. Those of you with daughters at that age know exactly what I'm talking about. I've also written a book called Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You, A Guide for Connecting With Your Daughter's Heart which is basically a field guide for dads of daughters who are saying, give me more tools, Dr. Michelle, because I need them. Well, you can always go to my website at drmichellewatson.com where I have more resources for you because I want to equip dads with more resources than they already have. And today I'm really excited to be spending the next two hours with you because though my typical focus here on KPDQ is for dads of daughters— Today I'm going to be talking more about what I do in my daily life around counseling issues, and I want to be unpacking what it means to be a vibrant and healthy person of God as the people of God, the church, in three main areas—emotionally, mentally, and spiritually— And I truly believe that it's a biblical view to integrate all three of those things rather than kind of disconnecting them, right? And saying, well, I have emotional issues, but I don't know that God is all about that. And today I want to break that down and unpack that a bit with you. And I'm so honored that you're here to join me in this conversation because we're going to be talking about vulnerability, authenticity, emotional recovery, and how all of that ties in with the concept of faith. So my goal is for us to have an honest conversation about looking at our stories. All of us have a history. Maybe you've even heard that said that way, that history is his story, right? We all have a story. And sometimes most of us are confused sometimes about what it means or why God would even allow us to go certain things or go through certain things. And so today I have a guest joining me that I know you're going to love as much as I do, because this is a man who has also gone through the fire, I guess you could say, He's walked through the deep end of his process, and so I wanted to invite my friend Mark Chelsky here. He's a pastor. He's an author of a book titled The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. So welcome, Mark. I'm so glad you're here today with me. Well, I'm
3: glad to be here with you, Michelle. This is uh, I I think we're going to have a wonderful time talking about the stuff that matters most, that inner life stuff.
2: Yeah, and you have been a guest on my program, The Dad Whisperer, and I so have enjoyed— our times and our conversations there. You've been on three times more than anybody else.
3: (laughs) Wow. That's a special honor.
2: So now for us to have this time together where I know you're as passionate as I am, right? About seeing as a pastor, your congregation and the people of God be honest about what they're really struggling with. But then I, I don't know about you, but for me, my story even includes where I went, okay, I went to Bible college. I went to Multnomah. Here's where I learned, right? About Biblical ed- education, biblical truths, but I couldn't integrate those truths into the things that I was struggling with. And you've lived a bit of that, too. Oh, for
3: sure. I think it's really natural for us, particularly
2: those of us who've grown up in the church, to, without
3: even meaning to, end up uh, addressing our lives from an outside-in perspective. Mm-hmm. right? And so we learn about learning scripture, learning theology. You know, We talk about behavior. We talk about different lifestyle kinds of things that we might choose to do. And we kind of apply those from the outside in. And the, the truth of the matter is that the way we're made, the way God made us, our life flows from the inside out. Mm-hmm. That That is how it always works. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible for us to end up in circumstances, this is certainly true for me, where I put a lot of time into that outside edge of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was the inside part of my life, that wellspring, that had trouble, that had problems. And those problems flowed out and created uh, brokenness and damage in my relationships. And so until we are willing to look at that inner life, we really aren't going to be able to find the life that Jesus has for us. Mm -hmm. We have to start, we have to start at the heart.
2: And because both of us have lived this where, you know, I'm a pastor's daughter. I went to Bible college. I was in ministry from the time I was 19. I'm in almost 40 years now where I had such a desire to serve and to give back right out of love for God. And yet I noticed that behind closed doors so often, that's where I would fall apart or have my stuff get triggered, right, in ministry. And then I've worked with so many people, as I imagine you have as a pastor, where they're so hurt by, quote, the church Mm -hmm. because their stuff gets triggered, right, in the context of relationship, and then they don't know what to do to process it. Right, right. I
3: mean, we want to do a good job. Most of us are wired up to please. We want to look like we have it together Uh, A lot of guys want to feel like we're strong and capable and have the answers. And so it's very easy inside the church community, without even intending it, Mm -hmm. it's very easy for us to kind of collaborate in in a way where we all talk about the surface, the superficial things, the things that can be seen, when the reality is that our struggles are all coming from the inner life.
2: And most of our struggles, if we all were honest about it, Have so much overlap, right? I think of how many people say, "I feel so alone," right? You You know, when I'm around Christians, right, or I'm sitting in a pew, and I'm like, "If we actually took the mask off and we're honest, we all have insecurity, right? We all feel like we're less than perfect, or not capable enough, or competent enough." Yeah. And I think what you and I want to do today is just be honest about the fact that we're all broken, Mm -hmm. and we, when we come with our brokenness before God and say, "Here it is," in authenticity and honesty. God is ready to come and meet us in that place. Right. Right? Right. So anything else, just before we go to break, that you want us to know about you?
3: <laughs> about me. Um, I'm a dad of two kids. I have been in professional full-time ministry for almost 25 years. I've been here in Portland uh, ministering at Bridge City Community Church for about 17, 18. Um, I uh, have been through the ringer, like uh, like you said. And uh, because of that, I have a deep heart for... Uh, Talking about the stuff, we want to talk about what's real. We want to not pretend. We want to get to the bottom because the fact is that that the healing we talk about Jesus giving it comes when we open those spaces up. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're gonna do.
2: That's what we're gonna do. And I'm so excited that that you are at a place in your life, as am I, where we get to be honored enough to be entrusted with people's stories. I call that holy ground. It is right where it's that kind of. I don't know what to do with this stuff. And and we get to partner with people. And it's not just platitudes or pat answers. It's saying, let's take that to God and let him speak into it. Hmm. And I find God is so gracious. I mean, he's called a mighty counselor. I often tell people, he's the capital C, I'm the little C. <laughs> and if it ever flips around, I need to close my doors and shut down my practice. Because the truth is, I don't know what people need when yeah. they're in that raw place and broken place. But, like you and I have discovered, if anyone's listening, has to jet out right now. Hear Mark Allen Shelsky and I saying, "God is a real God who meets us in real places with the real stuff, and He wants to meet you in that place and show you His love." And yeah. and you will. We're going to talk about that more today, and you will see that He's that kind of a God just by being open to Him coming and meeting you there.
1: You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. This is the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm Dr. Michelle Watson sitting in for her today, the dad whisperer. And I'm joined by my friend, Mark Shelsky. He's a pastor and an author. And Mark, I wonder if you could just take a few moments now, because your book, honestly, I'm not just here to promote your book. But (laughs) if you are listening now, as we're talking today about emotional, spiritual, you know, emotional and mental, those go together, don't they? Emotional and mental. It's like they cross over, and sometimes they can feel separate from the spiritual part of who we are. But I love today that we're going to be talking about how those integrate. And I'd love if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your story, which is in your book. Sure. And tell people how to get it, because you really set the bar for me of a man, a pastor, a leader who's being honest about his journey.
3: Okay. Well, uh, the book, uh, The Wisdom of Your Heart, is a byproduct of my own long and painful journey. It, It is not a book that would exist if I hadn't gone through the things that I went through. I grew up in the church. Many of us, you know, many of us did. My dad was a pastor. I was involved in programs, you know, from the time that my parents could leave me on my own, right? And so I got lots and lots of training in church life, lots and lots of Bible study and learning how to be a good Christian kid and all the stuff that we do in church. And much of that was really good. My life was formed in a really positive way by being a part of that community. But I also grew up in a community that didn't really talk about emotions in a positive way. Sometimes even we would talk about them in a negative way, thinking that emotions either are just not helpful to us, we need to learn how to kind of manage them, kind of control them, or worse, that our emotions are temptation, right? That any time that we feel something strongly, whether it's a negative emotion or positive emotion, maybe we're being pulled off track. Mm -hmm. And so I got this picture, and I think many of us uh, have gotten this picture that the more spiritual we become as we grow and mature in Christ, the less emotional we'll be, right? That that emotional life is something completely separate and unrelated from our spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And so then we, you know, we call the process in the church of, of being trained in growth. We call that discipleship, right? And so when we think of discipleship, we're thinking of Bible study and learning your church doctrine and, you know, maybe uh learning your spiritual gifts and you know, all those kinds of things but we don't we didn't really have at least in the community i grew up in we didn't have any conversation about how we grow up emotionally how right. we mature in that part of our life and if our calling is to mature in the image of Christ um Christ was a whole person in right? touch with his emotions right? he was incarnation means that that Jesus was fully human and so that means that Jesus had glands and Jesus had you know all the electrical neuron neurochemical stuff that we have Jesus had all of that and we have that, too. And so learning how to live in the bodies that we have as emotional people is a part of growing up spiritually. And I just didn't get that message. I had, I had really uh, gotten disconnected from that. And I think that my experience is not uncommon. I think there's a lot of Christians out there, uh, maybe someone listening today, whose life feels really brittle, um, who maybe is numb, um, or maybe has kind of a background ache or a background hurt, and they don't know why. And maybe you're doing... All the right Christian things, you know, you're attending church and you're serving, maybe you're even in leadership roles, but you still have this ongoing struggle with anger that overtakes you and you don't know why, or anxiety that is just floating around in the back of your head, uh, and it's it's just sort of always there. And maybe you're finding, you know, guidance in all kinds of other sources outside of Christianity, but your church is not talking to you. About what to do with that, other than just maybe saying, pray more, Jesus will heal you, Jesus will take that away. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not, how, that's not how it works. That's how, that isn't how it worked for me. Right. It's not, it's not how it works. I mean, sometimes God will come in and do something miraculous, but the truth is, mm-hmm. our, the experience we have in our head and heart is the fruit of a lifetime of habits. And the process of sanctification means those habits have to change. Mm-hmm. And that's not a fast process. It requires looking within. It requires looking at why we are who we are, which is what you do every day sitting in your chair across from your clients. Right. You help them look truthfully about at who they are and how they came to be that person and, and what they can let go of that they no longer need to carry with them. And then they find freedom. But that's not a, a fast process by any means.
2: And let me just add one thing, Mark, to what you're saying is that when you talk about my counseling office, I think what I so love about the work that God has called me to do is that it's about slowing down. And oftentimes, I have clients that just want to get to the answer, right. get get, right. get to the end result. I want to be fixed and better and not broken. Right. We can't we can't rush the process, right? Any more than right. when we're two, we can't become three, and we're thirteen, we can't become fourteen. Like it. every day, we have to live into that age, right? Right. In no, order to keep growing.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely the truth. You know, when we when I started going to to therapy, I went to therapy with the intention of getting tools, right I wanted the therapist to give me processes and tools that I could use to solve the things that I was struggling with
2: okay let 's be honest, that is a masculine <laughs> construct I, and i want to honor that right. that 's why in my book, I have fifteen tools for the fathering toolbox, right. but more often for me with women i don 't find they come into my counseling office with that kind of agenda, mm-hmm. but I love that you 're saying that 's how I went in. give me tools. Whereas often I would say, because I work more with women than I do men, but where they're saying, I don't know why I'm broken like this and responding like this, why my relationships are a mess. But continue. I just wanted to kind of make a note of that.
3: Right. Well, I think think that, that the men are often feeling the same thing, right? I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know why I feel the anger that I feel. But I believe that if I could have the right tool, it would solve the problem. Right. And and what my therapist did, of course, was not give me tools at all. What my my therapist did was become a really powerful, truthful mirror Mm -hmm. to help me look at the reality of my own heart and soul and identity and begin to see Uh, What was going on in my inner life that was impacting my marriage and my family and my ministry and And yourself and myself, of course. Right. That's where it all comes from.
2: Well, another way that I've often said this to clients is that we hurt within the context of relationship and we heal within the context of relationship. So when you said I went in going, hey, if I just wanted tools, I could open a book. Right. Oh, for sure. But it was sitting with someone who didn't rush you through the process, but said, we're actually slow this down, mister. And yeah. sat with you in it. And I think for anyone listening that says, I don't want to do the process, right? we're both going, that was me. In fact, my counselor used to say to me, because I would ask her, when am I going to be done with this thing? <laughs> and you know what her her answer was? And I hated it and I loved it all at the same time. She would say, we'll be done when we get there. Right. Right. And I'm like, right. okay, for a type yeah. <laughs> A plus like me who just wants to get her done. No, it's, it was, it's right? the truth. It's the truth. It's that, it's, it's
3: that obnoxious message that God gave Abraham, right? When God encourages Abraham to get up and leave his home and his family and says to Abraham, Abraham's like, where are we going? And Abraham, And God says to Abraham, I'll reveal it to you when you're there, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to show you where you're going when you get there. And that's a scary way to journey, yeah. But that's that is how it works. That's really how it works, you know. And so it it I did exactly what you're talking about. I mean, for years, I was the guy that would read the books. Mm-hmm. I would go to the conferences. I would take a copious notes. I would make plans about what I was going to change. I would I would check all the boxes. I would check all <laughs> the boxes. I would do, I would come up with disciplines that I was going to practice in my morning routine. I would do all of those things. With this concept that I I can do this. I can solve this. And it wasn't until I was broken enough to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and let other people into that space that real healing began to happen. It required being opened up. It required vulnerability. And that was terrifying. Yeah. But until that happened, all I was doing was just piling Band-Aids mm-hmm. on top, just more yeah. and more Band-Aids on top of a wound that was deep inside. Mm-hmm. It required
2: that, that vulnerability. Of, and I— I've so appreciated you, Mark, even talking in your book about how you were basically in bed all week, but you would kind of prop yourself up and give a sermon on Sunday, go fall back in bed, and your wife was like a single parent. So when you're talking about those years and the vulnerability as a leader to go into a counselor and admitting that you needed help, I think we're saying today that is a starting point. If we want to be a healthy people of God, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, we have to come to a place where we say, I want some, I'm going to invite someone else to partner with me to know my stuff. Right. Even yeah. as if it's ugly and messy and broken. And I, I love that you have lived that.
3: Uh, that's, that's critical. I think we need to come back to that because this, this line of crossing over from being strong to being vulnerable, mm-hmm. that is the line where healing can begin. And so I want us to talk a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. What does it look like to be vulnerable? And I, I also wanted to Tell you guys a little bit more of my story today because I think sometimes we can make assumptions about pastors or here being a radio host or a counselor that we've got it together and we're saying we don't. That's right. But we're all in it together, right? It's the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a couple minutes.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer. I invite you to join me. On Mondays at 2.30 p.m. on 93.9 KPDQ and at 2 p.m. on Thursdays every week, I'd love you to join me. Well, today I'm sitting with my friend, Mark Shelsky. He's a pastor and an author, and we're talking about being a people of God who are healthy emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And before the break, we were just talking about vulnerability, weakness, and being able to admit that. Mark, you wanted to continue with that thought. Sure.
3: You mentioned the story that I told in my book about kind of the worst part of my journey where I... Uh, would uh, work really hard to the weekend to be a good pastor, to be on stage, to give a great sermon, lead as best I could. And then I would drag myself home and I would collapse into bed and I'd be worthless until Tuesday. And then I'd pull myself out of bed and sort of fight with myself to get myself together, pull myself together and do the whole thing again. And that situation that I was in, which was really just a high functioning depression, mm-hmm. that situation was the result of me trying to be strong. It was the result of me living in this mindset where I can solve this. If I have the right tools, if I have the right information, I can work my way out of this. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not how this works. Your inner life stuff, we were made in relationship. We were made for relationship. Healing comes in relationship. Vulnerabil- vulnerability is necessary. And I know that the, the primary audience of this, of this radio show are, are Christian folks. And so I want to give you a frame for this because I know you already have – a really important frame for the necessity of vulnerability. And that is this. Somewhere in your journey, you decided to follow Jesus. We have that language, right? We talk Mm -hmm. about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is a moment of vulnerability. That is a moment when you say, I can't do my life alone. I need to entrust my life to Jesus as my Lord, the one who's going to lead my path, and my Savior, the one who's going to save me. Well, that's something we know and we understand. But then we go and we live the whole rest of our life as if we can do it on our own strength. Mm. And when it comes to inner life stuff, when it comes to depression or anxiety or dealing with trauma and the fruit of trauma in our lives or dealing with a dire marriage situation, when it comes to all those things, it's very natural for us to try and solve them through our strength. Mm. When the model that we have as Christians is that salvation is through vulnerability, it comes from that moment of humility where you say, I can't do this myself. I need somebody outside my head. You know, in the case of salvation, I need Jesus. In the case of these things, I need trusted, healthy friends. I might need a therapist. I might need a spiritual director. I might need a counselor. I might need a support group. I might need a a set of resources, things that I don't already have. And that's what, for so long, I was unwilling to engage those things because I was afraid that if I were really known, if I was really seen for the struggles I was having— that I would be excluded, that I would be disqualified from ministry, that I would mm-hmm. be seen as weak and a failure and a fraud. And so for years, I pushed myself into this place just because I was trying to be strong that was more and more broken.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And it was only when I finally, through that brokenness, came to a place of letting other people in that healing could even begin.
2: You know, you you are speaking my language, brother, because, you know, here I was a pastor's daughter. I've gone to Portland Christian from fourth through twelfth grade. Went to Multnomah Bible College, now university. So I was in ministry then right as soon as I graduated high school. So my whole life was about leading others to the Jesus I loved, but I didn't attend my inner life. And then for me, a bit of my story that I wanted to be honest about today is that when I was 28 to 30, I started dating a guy who was very emotionally, mentally, verbally abusive, one of the times we broke up, Mark, I ended up writing down everything he had told me he didn't like about me because I didn't want to love him anymore. I knew I couldn't. You want to know how many things I wrote down? 66 things he had told me he didn't like about me. Well, not
3: only 66 he told you, 66 that you remember. Yeah, True that. Right. That that impinged on your soul. True that. For you to be able to recall them. Yes.
2: I didn't do them all in one sitting, but no, it gets worse. Two months later, I started dating him again because I said, I love him. And I can't even begin to tell you the number of women. Countless women have told me the same story, like sharp, bright, talented women say, oh, but I love him. (laughs) And I'm going, why do we do this? So at, at age 28, I ended up calling a counselor in desperation and said, I am not functioning. I had to finally say, why am I a wreck on the inside? Mm -hmm. And even a few years before that guy, I had started having flashbacks and nightmares and body memories that I I knew tied to sexual abuse, but I wasn't really sure how to deal with them, where to go to deal with them. I Mm -hmm. think counseling now, you know, I'm 58. It's a lot more common now, but we're talking in the 70s, 80s. It there really wasn't a lot of places to go. Right. And we and weren't I, talking about those we things in church talking at that about time. that in church. Exactly. Right. And yet I look back at that and say, and this is where I, I get choked up a lot of times because I say the Jesus that I learned in my head in Bible college. That was important. That, I'm not I'm not discounting that and the doctrine and the theology I learned. But it was when I went to the places of memory, because I couldn't push it down anymore, that I began to meet Jesus. I had a counselor, Mark, who would say to me, as memory after memory of sexual abuse would come up, she would say, where is Jesus in that memory? Mm. And do you know what my belief was going into counseling was, okay, Jesus promised to go with me through the valley of the shadow of death, and he'll clean me up and put a robe of righteousness on me after I go through it. But I truly did not believe I would ever see him in that video that would play in my mind. And then memory after memory was coming up. I mean, not just about sexual abuse from my grandfather, but there were others. I mean, honestly, it's things that would turn your hair green, but you're bald. So I guess that <laughs> right. doesn't really apply. But, right. but then I begin to have mem- memories of religious abuse involving mm-hmm. religious leaders. I begin to have very clear memories of very, you know, demonic things that involve the spirit realm. I'm telling you, I could hardly function through a lot of my 30s. I mean, I would talk about propping yourself up. I was working as a dental assistant and I would go home and I did hundreds of hours of collaging. You know, a lot of trauma is stored in the right brain, not with the left side with language. And I would, I would just try to collage the things that were out. And I cannot highly recommend enough. Those that are listening, journal, 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 Mm -hmm. begin to give a voice to that, which you've never given a voice to, because really, I believe the enemy wants us to be mute and to hold all of the wounds and the lies that are attached to the wounds are the bigger thing right well that's the core problem right because when we
3: when we have these kinds of brokenness in our story, whether it's trauma that we experienced or like you shared so bravely about uh, sexual abuse in your life or religious abuse, the first the first uh, um, the first impact of that mm-hmm. is this lie that nobody else understands that you're so that right you are alone mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And and because we're so afraid of exclusion, because shame is so powerful and shaping us, that lie pushes us into isolation. Right, So we don't want to tell the truth about our experience, mm-hmm. especially in many of our church communities where we come and we sit in church and we sing the songs, which, you know, 85% of them are happy, happy songs, mm-hmm. and you come in and you want that sense of God's presence. You want that feeling. You want to be on track with your spiritual journey, but there's this part of you that feels maybe shameful to you, yeah. and and because of that lie that no one will understand, then you find yourself in a place where you don't want to talk about it, and until you can break through that barrier, that shame resides within you, and it continues to push the pressure of that lie down on you, that that you're flawed, that if people really knew who you are, you'd be excluded, you'd be expelled, people would think you're a terrible person. And many
2: people have lived that, though let's be honest. Right. Right. We hear the stories of people that have been expelled. So it's like, if I can't be honest with people of God, where do I go? Right. To be honest with my story. And I think one thing that I want to say here before we go to the next break, Mark, Is that if you happen to be someone who's on the receiving end of being trusted with someone's story is hold off on giving an answer. Hold off because if you continue to listen and what mirroring back means is that say that he or she says, I just feel that I'm a piece of trash is rather than saying, no, you're not. You know, you're valued and loved by God. I know we all want to do the fix. But you give a bigger gift by saying, tell me more yeah. about why you feel like a piece of trash, because that person is dying on the inside. And when the truth is expressed and the truth, I put in quotes because it's based oftentimes in lies that feel true. Right. But when we get that out and another person is a bearer, a safe witness of our pain, of our story, the gift that they give is is insurmountable because we become the holder of that place. And I really believe that it models the Trinity. You think about the father, the son and the spirit are always in community. They're always in relationship. And when we're bringing our brokenness and our story to someone else is people as you're the ones listening, just imagine that you are in the courtroom of heaven, the throne room of heaven with the father, the son and the spirit. And that may be too much for you, but it's never too much for them. And all of you are gathered together. You are surrounded by the Trinity. The person that's entrusting you with their story is surrounded by the Trinity. And that is a safe place to leave your pain. Yeah, That's a safe place to leave your pain. I want to say one more thing here as we just take a breath for a minute. And that is that if you're here today saying, I don't know where Jesus was ever at in my memory. I want to encourage you to keep asking that question. Jesus, show me where you were. Because that is a huge part of my story when I saw Jesus standing there for the first time at my head. And I don't know how I saw this because this wasn't what I ever saw in my mind's eye. But tears were coming down his cheek for me.
3: Hmm.
2: And it, it dramatically, honestly, that was a turning point in my entire life. My entire life was when I saw Jesus in my memory crying for me. And that was where the truth of Psalm 23, that he went with me through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes came alive for me. And I love that even in Isaiah 63, 9, God says, in all your distress, I too am distressed. So if you're in a place of distress today, just know that you're not alone, that God is with you in it, and he will walk you through it. This is the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson. Be back in a couple.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the dad whisperer. And most of you may not know me because my program airs every Monday here on KPDQ 93.9. At 2.30 every Monday, 2 p.m. every Thursday, and I'd love to invite you to join me. You can always go to my Facebook page, Dr. Michelle Watson, or you can go to my website, drmichellewatson.com, where really the heart of my ministry is for dads wanting to equip dads, especially those with daughters, to know how to dial in intentionally and consistently to their daughter's heart. So I have free resources there for you. I've written a book called, Dad, Here's What I Really Need from You, a Guide for Connecting with Your Daughter's Heart. And today here in the studio, I have my friend. He's a pastor. He's an author. His name is Mark Allen Shelsky. He's written a book called, go ahead, why don't you tell them, Mark? (laughs) It's called The Wisdom of Your Heart. There you go. What's the subtitle? It's really powerful. Uh, What is the subtitle? (laughs) You're like, I wrote the book and I can't remember. (laughs) discovering the God-given purpose and power of your emotions. There we Does that go. sound the right? purpose
3: and power, that's right, because it's not just the purpose of our emotions, it's understanding how they impact us, the power that they wield in our lives.
2: Well, I I would love next for us to talk more then about that concept of the purpose and the power of our emotions, especially as they pertain to men. Because you, as a man, obviously have a corner on the truth of this one. And because I've been, I say, traveling from my planet of Venus to Mars, where men live for the last nine years, is that men have more and more opened up to me about where they're struggling and where they feel defeated and incompetent as a father. Hmm. And I'm so honored that they do come with emotion and say, as they gather, I call them a band of brothers in the ABBA project. We gather once a month from September to May. And you know what I've discovered about men, which ties into this next segment where we want to talk about men and emotion, but is that men talk a lot <laughs> and men cry. <laughs> they <Who> do sometimes. <laughs> New. They oftentimes say, well, because we're not competing with women, to be right. honest with you. But I, I really want to hone in on this purpose and the power of emotion, especially with men. So again, because you're a leader, a pastor, a podcaster, a writer, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what prompted you, not only in your book, to write with such vulnerability, but as a man to men. I'd love you to unpack that concept a little bit more, Mark. Sure. Well,
3: I, you know, that vulnerable piece that's so important to me now, that was not always a part of my journey. Um, you know, I, I certainly grew up with, uh, I think, the very common um, framework of masculinity that that many of us have, you know, that sort of you need to be strong, you need to sort of never let them see you sweat, you need to fake it till you make it, you Mm -hmm. need to know the answers, you need to be able to solve problems for people, you need to be able to fix all the things. And then you add on top of that, I'm a Christian, and then you add on top of that, I'm a pastor. And so now I've got all these layers of, of needing to be strong. And that wired up right for my personality, right? I'm a firstborn child, I'm an adopted child. And so my own natural sort of personal wiring is performance driven, that I feel that everything is okay with the universe if I can perform well. And as a result of my performance, you will be happy with me, Mm -hmm. right? And so then that impacts my marriage. It impacts my leadership in my church. It impacts the way I relate to the people around me in the world. And so when I got to this place where I was just completely overloaded and I had this pain that I had never dealt with bursting out of my life, I was not able to perform. And because I was not able to perform, my life began to fall apart. I had no idea— how deeply my sense of identity was attached to being able to perform well. Mm-hmm. And when I was not able to perform well, it, it was two layers of problems. Because not only was I not performing well, which is a problem on its own, but now my identity was fragmenting. Because who am I if I'm not the guy who has the answers? If I'm not the guy who can solve the problem, what even am I? And that was profoundly painful but for most of my life, it just wasn't safe to tell the truth about my inner life. It just mm-hmm. didn't feel like that was the sort of thing that a pastor did. It wasn't the sort of thing a good godly man did, right? I didn't want to burden my wife. I, you know, all of those stories. And the answers should be in the word,
2: right? For sure, right? And they were, but they weren't.
3: But they weren't. That's right. And so, and so, I really got to this place where. Uh, I had a great deal of brokenness that was impacting the people around me it was a t- It was a really terrible experience and And the truth was that what was happening was that pain that I had experienced in my life over the course of my journey had accumulated within me and had never really been faced uh, You know You talked about some of your story you know mm-hmm. well, my dad died in an unexpected accident when I was eleven That was a defining trauma of mm-hmm. my life. It shattered my. Shattered my childhood. It changed the shape of my family. We were the pastor's family in a small church community, and so all of a sudden, who were we? Anymore? Oh, so you were a
2: pastor's kid, and became a pastor, right. And I'm a pastor's <laughs> kid, so
3: I get that. Where we're
2: the model citizens, right? right?
3: Yeah, and so you live mm-hmm. in the fish tank, and everything is about performing well. And so I went through this massive trauma, and in my little mind, as a child uh, going through trauma, I kind of made this vow, this covenant with myself that the more I could control the variables of my life, the less likely it would be that terrible pain like that would happen again. That's a fairly common trauma response, right, to become clamped down, to Mm -hmm. sort of take control of things. Mm -hmm. And, And as a kid, that made sense. As I grew up, that became a life habit. As I did it over and over and over again, a life habit became a personality trait. And as I was leading over 20 years, this personality trait became the cornerstone of my leadership, right? Because control is about management and planning and organizing and leading. And so I was actually getting a lot of affirmation for doing Mm -hmm. things that were really rooted in this brokenness in my story from a long, long time ago where I had this lie in my heart. It's not true that if you can control everything – Terrible things won 't happen exactly that is not true, right, but I was living out of that, and i was uh, the fruit of that was that it was strangling creative ministry in my church it was uh, it was limiting the vibrancy of my marriage, it was uh, leading me to be a um, a harsh parent um, it was It was creating damage in the lives of people I cared around uh, around me. It
2: was flowing out from within, did it also mark? keep you from being open to input from anyone about any part of your life that was less than perfect? Sure, absolutely, right? Because to take input means I'm in that
3: weak position. That's mm-hmm. the idea, right? I mean, that's not you true. You see, I'm I flawed. Right. right? I, I don't believe that that's true, but I think it's easy to have that perspective that if I'm getting input from others, I'm the weaker one. And that's just that's just simply not true. And so I got to this place where my world kind of fell apart. And all of this pain sort of sort of burst through the cracks and began to create a real mess in my life. And so it required um, vulnerability because there were some people, some friends, a couple of of, uh, guys that I knew in my life who both of them had been through great personal trauma. And so when they saw what I was going through, they could see me in a truthful way that other people didn't. And uh, they were able to speak into my life about what was happening and say, you have a choice. You know, this Mm. is sort of a life or death kind of choice for your life and marriage and ministry, and that began conversations uh, where I could talk with them and find myself in a position where I could share these things and not feel belittled or judged. They had been through the ringer themselves. They weren't telling me I wasn't good enough. They weren't telling me I was a bad pastor. Or the pat answers. Right. They were not doing Mm -hmm. any of that. They They were just holding up the mirror and saying, you know, how is this going why you know why is this your experience here's what happened for me mm-hmm. and listening to me share that pain and and in that place where i wasn't having to perform right i began to able i be, began to be able to talk about the reality of this for the first time in my life and that ultimately leads to a lot of other things that happened. That that began a journey of me journaling intensively, which is a huge part of my recovery. Okay, that, but
2: can we stop there for a minute? Yeah. I cannot begin to tell you how many clients I have, male and female, who say, I don't like journaling. It's not my thing. I've had some men keeping their iPhone notes. Any, any insight you could give from Mars sure. on how do you push yourself into a new skill set when that isn't your natural bent?
3: I think that... My experience has been the same. Many people have said a similar kind of thing to me. And I think in many cases, the reason people say I don't like journaling or it's not my thing is because they're picturing like a writer sitting in a coffee shop with a candle and a cup of tea, kind of writing their thoughts (laughs) longhand, right? You know, and maybe there's poetry in there, you know, or verses of a song. Like there's this kind of of mythology in our mind of what a journal is. And really all that I'm saying is you need to reflect – on what you're thinking and feeling. That's it. Give it a voice. And, and you need to reflect on it outside of your head because it's really difficult for the head that is thinking in broken ways to reflect on its own thinking. There you go. So you have to get it out, right? Get so it out. So if that's bullet points. Exactly. If that's uh, little sketches of sentences. Yep. If that's doodling. Art. If that's yeah. doodling. Mm-hmm. If it's talking into a voice recorder and listening to it. If it's it's some way to get it exterior to your head. So that you can then look at it and go, oh, now that I see that outside my head, I can see where my thinking is having a certain pattern or going in a certain direction.
2: And it's okay if you don't have that skill set. You just start where you're at. It can be shorter. It can be a few sentences. But I really want to underscore what you're saying about you've got to get it out of your head in order to see it from a different perspective. Because I call it the hamster wheel. A lot of times those thoughts just circle around and we don't get out of the hamster cage. Right. Because it's just automatic and it's on looping. Yeah,
3: that's right. We, we talk in our culture a lot about the fact that we learn from experience. I don't think that's true. I think we learn from reflecting on our experience.
2: Oh, come on now. That's good. It's, I know lots and lots
3: of people who have backpacks full of life mm-hmm. experiences, mm-hmm. and they are not mature people at all, right? Yeah. It, where maturity comes from, it comes from looking at that experience. Yes. How did I How did I feel? What did I think? How did that person respond to me? How did I respond to them? Doing that in light of the Holy Spirit,
2: mm-hmm. asking God's
3: presence in that reflection, and then learning. Then
2: you can see it and learn, and you've got to have that tool in your life. And I just want to underscore what you said about it was friends who came alongside you who had already worked through their own trauma that had an ability to sit with you in yours yeah. without it triggering their own stuff that's what usually happens once we've done our own work and reflected on our own story is that we can sit with someone else in the duration of their processing without trying to just put a pad answer on it right yeah they've done their own reflecting their own being honest about their story and I want to in the next segment mark just talk a little bit more about men and emotions because because that's really a a primary thing that I want to cover today. And women are also going to be able to listen in on that. Because they have emotions too. They have emotions too. But we're saying we want to validate that if you're a man that says, I don't know how to process, follow Mark's example. Be a man that says, I'm going to begin the process. Would you say it has to be daily? I think it needs to be regular. There you go. Um, I don't know
3: that daily is realistic for any of us. I
2: agree. Okay. I just wanted to get your get your take on that. I don't journal daily either, but I have tubs of journals and at times I've gone back and been able to see with real-time chronology how God has met me in the mess, right? Because yeah. we don't have a message without a mess. Right, and it's going to change based on what you're processing, right? There's going to be seasons of your
3: life where, you're, where things aren't as intense, and you're not going to need to do as much of that work. Mm-hmm. Or there may be a season where you're processing a particular trauma— and the fact of the matter is that you need to take a stack of notebooks and go to a cabin and ugly cry for three days there you go. and write a a thousand words. Like that may happen a couple times done in your it. life. I've done it. But that's not have. that's not something you're gonna do every day. Like we don't have the emotional resources to do that all the time. Exactly. You just need
2: to be thinking regularly. There you go. Get out there and journal. Well, this is the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer, filling in for her today. It's so fun to have my co-host here today, Mark Allen Chelsky, and we'll be back in a couple minutes.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer, and I host a show every Monday here on 93.9 at 2.30 p.m. called The Dad Whisperer, where my passion is to help equip dads, especially those with daughters, to dial in intentionally and consistently to their daughters' hearts. So I invite you to join me there. Today, it's so fun to be sitting in this chair by my friend Georgine Rice, who has set the bar very high, right, on being thorough and wise. And I'm joined by my friend, Mark Alan Chelsky. He's a pastor and an author of Tell Them the Name of Your Book. Uh,
3: The book is The Wisdom of Your Heart, and Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, about how to grow emotionally in your life of faith.
2: Yeah. So today we're breaking that concept down about what does it look like to be a vulnerable, authentic people of God who are connected to our emotions, what's going on mentally, our mind, our thinking patterns, And then integrating that with faith, right? With our spiritual lives rather than being kind of disconnected people of God. Well, in this last segment, we were talking, Mark, a little bit about men and emotions. And I'd love to take that just a little bit further. If you can believe this, it was actually just this morning that I was reading something that I wanted to quote from. And it's a powerful quote from a paraphrased NPR interview with a war zone correspondent who's working in Afghanistan. And I want to read you what this man said. He said, one of the guys observed how much of a shame it is that the battlefield is the only place in the world where men really love each other, cry with each other, need each other, and know each other deeply without anyone thinking they're less of a man or that there is something more to their relationship than friendship. Hmm. So I want to ask you, as a man, as a leader, as a father, a husband, why do you believe so many men struggle to cry And see it as weakness to feel their feelings. We've talked a little bit about it, but I wonder if you could shed some more light on that. Well, it's
3: certainly a a powerful script that exists in our culture. You know, I think it has to do with uh, a lot of. uh ideas that we have about gender that maybe aren't all that helpful or even maybe true, where we've sort of segregated certain emotions as appropriate for women and certain emotions as appropriate for men. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's okay for men to be angry, but it's not okay for women to be angry. It's okay for women to be sad, but it's not okay for men to be sad. Like that is not how we were made, right? We were created with all of the emotions. And those emotions serve a purpose in our life, in our heart, in our mind. God mm-hmm. designed them to move us and to give us wisdom. And when we segregate them out in that way and say that certain ones are women, are women's emotions and certain ones are men's emotions, we really do damage to our children. You know, that, like we have mm-hmm. people. I mean, I've talked with men where they have these stories, like where they had a traumatic experience as a child and their father or their grandfather or an uncle would, you know, firmly grab them by the shoulders and say, you know, shake it off. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, put some dirt on it mm-hmm. or, you know, like this language that we have that, that that instructs boys that there's this script that you can't allow yourself to be seen to be sad or weak like that. Mm-hmm. And our culture just reinforces that over and over again. And that is not how God made us. That is a script that goes against the way that we were created and yet our culture is full of it. You know, we we have language that we use. We have labels that we use. We have phrases that like we what? Use. Well, a, a real common one that you hear, you know, a lot of times this is younger people. It's a little bit crass, but we'll talk about something that's difficult saying that really took some balls. Right. And that's a phrase that's basically saying courage is equated with having mm. a certain body part. Right. And And masculinity. Right. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. Courage, the Latin Latin root of the word courage comes from cur, which is the Latin word for heart. Heart. Yeah. right. Courage is something that comes from the heart. And who has a heart? Everyone got made. Exactly. Right. It's not a male thing or Uh a female thing. And so I think those guys in that interview, I think one of the reasons that men in really traumatic situations like war zones are able to express those things is because they've gone through this shared traumatic experience Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And because they have that shared thing, they can express those th- those feelings that maybe might feel weak in other situations. Mm-hmm. Well, here in normal workaday life where we're working in cubicles, we don't have that same intensity mm-hmm. where we, we're like, "Our brother is with us." but we can have that right? That should be part of the purpose of the church. Men like, should have that sense of camaraderie that we can be truthful with one another about mm-hmm. our experience without it feeling like it's some kind of uh, a vulnerability on our part that shows a flaw in us.
2: It's not a flaw. Yeah. So going back to what you talked about with the shared experience, the shared traumatic experience, is I remember my friend AJ Saboboda talked about how after Vietnam, people got on planes and they were home like that. You know, 12 hours later, you're in your living room at home. Right. Whereas with World War II, people came across the ocean in boats. Yeah, they had some time to process, huh? They had time to process and <laughs> right. talk. So that whole thing about men saying, nope, I'm not going to talk about it. I just need to go in my cave and process it first, is doing damage to men because they're not being encouraged. One, that they need to talk, but it almost implies they don't have it in them to be able to talk, which right. couldn't be further from the truth. But back to the shared experience, Mark, is that... If most of us, like I think about myself, my trauma that I've experienced with sexual abuse is that was unique to me. So I'm thinking, who else understands my type of trauma? It was really, really, really dark, right? Mm -hmm. With groups of like rings of people, Mm -hmm. right? Doing abuse to me. So I think about that as, well, that happened in community or or it wasn't in isolation. But you know what the truth is? It was. I was made to feel very, very ganged up on and alone, right? So part of the healing for me was to begin to come out of that and say, I'm going to open up to a counselor who thankfully did know trauma. So that shared experience, I honestly believe says to the enemy, you know, he wants us alone, right? Right. That united we stand, divided we fall. I'm going to get you by yourself, believing you aren't you know worthy of being surrounded by people that understand but right. just the very fact that we're opening with some, up with someone right in a shared experience has a healing property to it well what what's happening is that
3: when we share with another person we are taking this step of opening ourselves in vulnerability it's a it's a practice and we do that with a therapist so not when we do it with a therapist not only are we sharing our stuff and hearing back from them But we're actually building this muscle of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We're practicing telling our story. And that's what should be happening in great churches as well, in great small groups, where you have the opportunity to practice vulnerability, where you open up and you share a little bit and they respond appropriately, right? They're not telling you what you need to do with your life or giving you pat answers. They're listening. They're holding that space for you. That's where we practice vulnerability. And we're not very good at it. A lot of guys aren't good at it. It takes practice. Mm -hmm. It takes the risk of trying something new, but it's actually a skill. We can, we can, like, I'm still alive, I'm not dead, and I have shared a lot, both in my book and in my sermons and with therapists and with friends, and I've learned by doing that, oh, yeah, I can share this, and I'm not dead.
2: Mm -hmm. I I, I live to tell about (laughs) it. (laughs) Right. That's awesome. I want to even go into another direction where we talk about something you write in your book about with God creating emotions. So if we may say, because you even told me about a recent Facebook interaction you saw, right, where people were even commenting on emotion as being like, ungodly, if you will, because it was out in the front,
3: right? Well, they were talking about how they were they were bemoaning, you know, the state of the world and politics and all of the crisis that we're currently facing in our country. And their their diagnosis was that, you know, that the whoever they were opposed to, I'm not going to get into their details here, but whoever they were opposed to was just being emotional, that they were being led by their emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's not an uncommon criticism to hear. Well, the truth of the matter is that there is nobody who's not led by their emotions. And now I know that somebody listening right now is going, well, that's not me. I'm a logical, rational person. I make lists of pros and cons. Well, guess what? You may think that, but the way your brain works, the way your brain is wired is that everything processes through your emotional response center before your rational brain even gets a chance to think about it. And so even in the process of developing your rational approval for why you do what you do, your emotions are involved in that. They may not feel very strong, but they're there, Mm -hmm. right? And so God created us with this system, this emotional response system, and it has an intentional purpose. I mean, simply put, it does two things. It moves us to act and it gives us wisdom. Mm -hmm. That's the core of it, right? Each emotion is meant to move you to take an action. And each emotion is meant to give you wisdom from the depths, from the inner life. And when you learn how to listen to your emotions, those two things are powerful, Mm -hmm. right? Anger is scary. Anger uh, is an emotion I was taught good Christians aren't supposed to have. But guess what? Anger is meant to move you to take action against injustice. Mm -hmm. That's why you have it. And so when anger boils up inside of you, you have to learn the practice of listening. Why am I why am I feeling anger? Mm-hmm. What happened that triggered that anger? Am I truly being treated unjustly in the situation or is someone that I care about being violated? You know, you begin to think about those things, and then that wisdom that bubbles up is, "Oh, I'm noticing it's a flag. I'm mm-hmm. noticing that some injustice is going on, and maybe even the Holy Spirit is in that." I mean, have you ever heard that that the Holy Spirit might be in your anger? Maybe well, there's a new one, the, right? Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, here's something I want you to act on, uh-huh. right? I want you to get involved in this cause. I want you to get involved in acting on behalf of this person. I want you to stand mm-hmm. for this, for this person that's being wounded or hurt or oppressed. Yeah. That will all come through emotion. And I'm not saying that you have to be quote unquote emotional. Like we have this cultural idea of an emotional person who's out of control. Mm-hmm. That's not what I mean. I mean that your emotions are giving you this feedback from inside of you, and God designed that. God intended that. Every emotion is meant to move you and give you wisdom,
2: but you have to learn how to stop and listen to it. That's how you're made. Exactly, and because we've talked so much today about relationship— Right? We hurt within the context of relationship. We heal within the context of relationship. Is that I truly believe, as I imagine you do too, Mark, that the more that men and women are in touch with what is coming up, right? The emotional responses, my mentor always says, it's coming up to be healed. So if it's an out of control right. on a zero to 10 scale, it's an eight, nine, or 10. I always say that's old stuff. That's your own old stuff. Right. But it's coming up to be healed so that in your relationships, you are clearer. You're less reactive because you've already gone to the epicenter of what's getting activated in you, which for most of us, like I can I can speak to my story is the stuff that used to cause really big eight, nines or tens doesn't anymore. Right. Because it was like going back into the painful stories and trusting someone with my story and my pain and my emotion. Mm -hmm. There was always a lot of emotion. It's just like it dissipates something about the power of. All of that begins to go away. And then I found that in my relationships and continue to find I'm less reactive and more proactive. Do I still blow it? Of course. Do I still have big reactions? Yes. But I'm not so afraid of them. And I have found that they're not as explosive or intense as they were prior to doing that work.
3: Right. Well, I, I talk – one of the metaphors I use in the book for emotion is talking about um, a way to think of emotions as sort of like the engine warning light on the dashboard of your car, mm-hmm. right? That light can be really stressful for those of us that don't know much about what's going on under the hood, right? And so the light goes on and we're like, oh, no, am I going to have a $1,000 mechanic bill? Uh. And we try to – like maybe we just ignore it. I hope it will – like the next time we start the car, it won't be there, you know? And, and the fact of the matter is – That light is a service. Mm -hmm. It's meant to tell you something needs to be attended to. And sometimes what needs to be attended to is very small. I had a friend whose car's check engine light went off because the uh, gas door was stuck open. It wouldn't shut all the way. That's very small, easily fixed. Sometimes the check engine light will go off because of big things. And we need to look at that. But the problem is when we don't look at it, it gets worse. There you go. And that's what we have to do with our emotions. Your emotion is nothing to
2: be afraid of. Yeah. But it's a flag saying, hey, check this out. There's something here to attend to. And it may not hurt to find someone that you respect that has a handle on how they balance their emotions and say, I'm going to learn from you. Well, this is The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back in a minute.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're here. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, host of The Dad Whisperer, and every Monday at 2.30 p.m. and Thursday at 2 p.m. right here on 93.9 KPDQ. That's where I host my show, and I'd love to have you join me. You can always go to my website at drmichellewatson.com where I have more free resources for you as dads, especially those of you with daughters, who oftentimes you men tell me, I cannot decode the women in my life. Well, I'm here to help you because I live on Venus and you live on Mars. Well, today it's been a joy to have my friend, pastor and author Mark Shelsky joining me where we're talking about The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions, which just happens to be the title of one of his books. And we're talking about how to be a people of God who are vulnerable and authentic with our stuff, with our stories, while opening up to the emotional realities inside and also seeing that actually by doing that, we're honoring the God that made them. So Mark, let's continue our conversation Really, you're saying in that last segment, don't be afraid of your emotions. But I think so many times I hear, especially from kids, when my dad gets angry, it really scares me. And you know what I hear a lot of times in my my counseling office, even this week, is when mom goes to depression Mm -hmm. and kind of that real anxious place, I feel like the bottom falls out because now mom isn't there to hold my stuff for me and I'm now holding it inside. And so we just want to open up this conversation about how do we begin to look at our own stuff, and, and stop blaming the people around us right <laughs> yeah. on what 's go for what 's going on right, right right being honest well, one of the things today we 've talked a little bit about each of our journeys to the epicenter I call it of our stuff, to the place where our painful stories are our, our memories you losing your dad at age eleven and really becoming wasn 't it the man of the house, and right. kind of having right. to push your stuff down to just be strong and the way that shaped you and i 've talked about my abuse story and the way that has shaped me cuz very much like you I've become I'm a firstborn too right but mm-hmm. performance driven and we applaud that but I've had to take breaks right in right. my in my ministry journey and and say I've got to look at this stuff and it's no fun but I would do it again would you well we have to
3: right i mean that's that's the bottom line we have to because if we want to have the life Jesus has promised us, if we believe that abundant life is possible, yeah. it's possible when we attend to these things. Not that we solve all our problems and become the perfect emotional person. That's mm-hmm. not the case at all. But that we have the tools to process what's happening mm-hmm. so that we don't become, like the stories you mentioned in the, in the therapist office, where my anger as a dad becomes traumatic for my children. Yeah. Right. I, my emotions impact the people around me. Right? Life flows from the heart out. And who's on the out? The outsider our kids and our people yeah. our coworkers, the people around us, and so we having the courage to face this, having the courage to be vulnerable and deal with our inner life is actually the best way that we can make a difference in the life of our children or the lives of the people that we lead or the mm-hmm. lives of the people
2: in our community. This is where it starts, yeah, because we give out what we have exactly well one of the things that I wanted us to both do today was to begin to focus on because we 're talking about integrating scripture and biblical truth with our stories. And like I told you, I'd been to Bible college, and years after I graduated, I told someone there, I never learned how to put together the things that I learned in Bible college, the doctrinal truths, with my painful story as I went through it. Yeah, And so I thought today that we could each share some scriptures, maybe let's go back and forth, sure. that have really become vibrant. We could hold on to these truths, vibrant truths That really impacted our story and our journey that maybe will encourage someone today that says, I kind of can't do the Bible right now. (laughs) It's just it's really heady for me or I feel judged by by a God that doesn't intersect with my story. So we're not telling people you have to love these verses. We're just telling them these are the ones that have ministered to us. Yep, let's do it. How about you go first? All
3: right. Well, I think that the 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 most crucial starting point for me is you know that that moment when Jesus was uh, questioned, where the young man comes to Jesus and says, you know, teacher, what's the most important part of the law? Right. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's relating to the law as rules and in the re- the religion at the time. You know, there's 613 rules in the Old Testament, and he of course that's a lot to keep track of. And, yeah. and so I would ask, what's the most important one too? You know, uh-huh. let help, let's narrow this down. And Jesus' response is the center point for when we think about this kind of process of growing in our inner life. Jesus' response was, here's the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's uh, Luke 10.27. And and that is telling us that God's intention for our life is holistic. That love for God is not just singing worship songs in church. It's, mm-hmm. not just, uh, it's not just social justice or caring for the poor and needy, right? It's holistic. It's all of who you are, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your relationships with the people around you. That's everything. And your emotional life is in that, right? In that, yeah. And so if you're going to love God well, you are being called by Jesus to love the Lord with all of who you are. Mm-hmm.
2: And that includes this stuff, right? And so then that means we have to look at it. Oh, I love that. Okay, well, we'll go back and forth. We'll kind of ping pong here. One of my favorite verses when I went through a lot of my stuff is I was in a season through some of my most painful memories where I could not read the Bible and focus on it. It was like yeah. my midbrain had flooded my frontal lobe, my prefrontal cortex, and I couldn't concentrate, but music would go in. And one of the verses, it's really short. It's nine words. It's Psalm 119.68, which simply says, where God says, it's, you are good and what you do is good. Hmm. And I would say this doesn't feel good. I don't know how you're gonna make any good out of it, but I'm going to believe that you will do that. And I'm now living that. Yeah. But at the time I couldn't, that was a faith verse, but just you are good, saying that to God. You are right. good, and what you do is good. Yeah. How about
3: another one of yours? Well, another one that uh really ministered to me when I was in these deep, deep, broken places was this crazy vision in the old testament book of Ezekiel. You know, and there's this there's this part of the book where the Prophet sees like Israel as sort of this dry, desiccated valley of just bones you know, mm-hmm. there's no life there it 's just remnants, and I felt that way in my heart. you know i just I did not know how I was going to get out of the situation. I could see all the things in my life that I cared about going off the cliff and the the promise that came in that Old Testament passage was was God speaking and saying this is God's intention. And you've mm-hmm. heard this verse before Ezekiel 36:26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh.
0: And oh, so God I love that. God's
3: making this promise, right? That I'm going to soften you. I'm going to give you life in the places where you feel dead and mm. numb. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a living heart where your heart feels dead. And and even where your heart feels like stone, where your heart feels heavy and impenetrable and the opposite of vulnerable, right? Uh-huh. When that's how you feel, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That that was something that just I read that over and over again and quoted that over and over again because that's,
2: that's what I knew that I needed. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay, well, the one I'll share next is Psalm 9110. And that is the scripture. I love Psalm 91. If if you're struggling today, go and read that chapter. I, I think it'll really touch your spirit. But God says no harm will come near your dwelling. And I remember there was this one Friday afternoon on my day off where I was driving down the freeway and I've come to the place where I can hear God's voice. Like I have conversations, right? I actually in Bible school, I couldn't do that. But I literally heard him say, Michelle, you've already had a, always had a hard time with that, right? And I'm like, do you think? Because I'm sort of sassy pants with him, like right. it's real vulnerable relationship. And I would say, God, if what I've experienced is your idea of no harm, I would sure hate to hear what harm looks like right. to you or see what harm right. look like, looks like to you. And on this given day, no harm will come near your dwelling. I heard God say to me, where do I dwell? And I said, in my spirit. Hmm. And he said, no harm ever came to your spirit. They got your body, they got your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, but they never got your spirit. And it was so powerful for me to realize there's the place in me that the Holy Spirit dwells and no one ever got to it, Hmm. which I believe is kind of that, the remnant piece that even if you've been abused or neglected or traumatized to say, there is a place in me where the spirit of God indwells me, right? We're all made imago Dei in the image of God. I believe we right we all have a spirit and there's a place that no abuse and the enemy cannot touch. Yeah. That's one of my favorites too. Yeah. Can I do one more? Absolutely. Okay, this comes from John 5:12, 6:12, 6:12. It's about the feeding of the 5000. And this is not my own. I got this from some friends, but it's where after the 5000 were fed, you probably remember this, God right? Jesus told his disciples, "Go gather the pieces that are left over." let nothing be wasted. Mm, I love that. And I, you know, we've all read that a million times, but to have someone say, do you realize that's the kind of God we serve that says, gather the leftover pieces, let nothing be wasted. And I think when there's brokenness in our own story and it's like, man, these are shards of glass. That just needs to be put in the trash bin Yeah, is that we serve a God who says, no, 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 no. We're not going to waste anything any of this. right? None of this will be wasted. Oh, those are the truths that just make my spirit sing because it goes to the depth of my trauma right. and does not feel like a pat answer. Well, I think that's really important
3: because I think one of the reasons people avoid getting into a recovery process, right? whether that's going to a therapist or, or joining a support group or, or getting involved in AA or whatever it is, mm-hmm. is that I think that there is for some people, this idea that, oh, it's going to take so long mm-hmm. to do that, right? Like if we're really going to take our marriage into therapy, it's going to take three years of therapy before it's good again. It's going to be, oh, so hard, mm-hmm. you know? And I was in counseling for more than four years and it was Me a long for process, eight. you know? <laughs> and so people can hear that story and go, well, I don't want to spend eight years, exactly." right? But the truth of the matter is that is not lost time. hmm as you're going through the recovery process that is actually one of the places in my journey where i've grown spiritually the most you know and and so it's not like all of a sudden you step back eight years and you lose that time there's certainly difficulties but mm-hmm. as you go through it you're maturing and that's our ultimate that's our ultimate calling right ephesians you know to mature in the image of christ that's mm-hmm. what god is calling us to and so that process whatever you need whether whether yeah. you need to face the, the, the pain and trauma of sexual abuse and you've never talked about it, or whether you have experienced spiritual abuse and you have a hard mm-hmm. time, you know, you're antsy in church because there was a pastor who was abusive to you, right. or whether, you know, you were in a toxic relationship or whatever the thing is that you're dealing with, facing that and going through recovery is not just about healing, it is about your maturity there you go you will go through that process and you will come out the other side a stronger person with a clearer sense of identity with a clearer sense of god's closeness mm-hmm. in your life and and here's the scary or wonderful thing <laughs> all of that goodness that you experience in the maturing process you would never have gotten to without going through the difficulty of that long tunnel of recovery mm-hmm. And so when you get to the other side, like you and I, and the particular stories that we've shared, I mean, I have long ways to go, but Mm -hmm. just looking back on the journey that I've been through, I wouldn't change it because- Nor would I. Right? Because the things that I learned through that, Mm -hmm. who I have become in that process, I'm so much happier Mm -hmm. with who I am now. I'm so much more at peace with myself and God and the people around me. I would never say, let's scrub out the last eight years. Yeah. Because even though my life looked better before all of that trauma happened, who I was in my heart was still sad and broken and discontented and immature, and I am in a much better place now. And that's the fruit. That time isn't lost, Mm -hmm. no matter how long it takes. And God made a promise.
2: Yeah, let nothing be wasted. But when we're in it. It feels excruciatingly long. <laughs> right. And it doesn't feel like there's going to be any redemptive part of it at all. It doesn't some days, but there will be. So there we go. We're trusting a God that says I will never waste your pain. Well, this is the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer. It's been a joy to have you here talking with my friend Mark Allen Shelsky. We'll be back in a minute.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. This is the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson sitting in for her today. I'm the dad whisperer. You can join me on Mondays right here on 93.9 KPDQ at 2.30 p.m. or on Thursdays at 2 p.m. Or my passion is to equip dads of daughters, especially to dial into the heart space of their girls. If you aren't able to catch those live, they're on iTunes at the dad whisperer or always at my website at drmichellewatson.com. Well, today, it's been a joy to have my friend, Mark Allen Shelsky, here with me. He's a pastor and an author. We are breaking down this whole concept of what is it like to be a people of God who are healthy, moving toward wholeness and maturity, because we're honestly facing our history, our story, our pain, our responses, our reactions, rather than just stuffing that down, putting maybe even a christian pat answer over at a bible verse but really sitting in the discomfort of the process. I love how my friend Paul Young says, "God must really like process because everyone <laughs> I know is in one." Do That's I hear right. an amen? That's right. That's do I hear an way. amen from the pastor? Yes. Well, one of the things I thought we could do here is we're winding to a close here way too fast. We could we could probably talk all night, couldn't we? Yep. Both of us are talkers. But I love the fact that your book, I can't highly recommend it. For those of you just joining us, you may say, I don't even know where to begin looking for a book or a resource that does address the emotional stuff that's Mm -hmm. in there. So Mark's book is called The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. Another book that I highly recommend if you're wanting a process book right? Not just a content or theology book. It's one by my best friend's husband, Dave Patty. He's the founder and CEO of Josiah Venture in Europe. But his book is called Father God, Daring to Draw Near. Father God, Daring to Draw Near. And I can speak really from my own story is that connecting with God as a father has added a dimension to my healing that I would have never expected. Because you may have heard if you were here for the earlier part of my testimony today is that My counselor would always ask me, where is Jesus in this memory? And it was only, Mark, it was probably about seven years ago when I was asked to go speak at an event and they wanted to hear about fathers and what I was doing with fathering that I almost had, I've never had a panic attack, but it was close as I could get to it where it was like, oh my goodness, I've never connected with God as a father. Mm, You know, it was Jesus a lot through Bible college and Jesus in songs and a little bit about the Father. And then I, I'm now part of a four-square church where it was the Holy Spirit. Who knew right. there was a Holy Spirit that could <laughs> speak? I'm not kidding you. That I'm saying that funny, but I really did not connect to the Holy Spirit until I'd been in this four-square church. But this whole piece, it never crossed my mind mm. that I hadn't connected with God as a Father. And so here I was preparing for this thing going, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this because how can I talk about something that isn't real? And just like I told you in the last segment, I've really learned to hear God's voice. I'll, I'll digress uh, from the main highway here for a minute and say the way you know it's God speaking. I've, you want to hear my threefold yeah. way? Yes, yes, I do. I always say it comes fast. When I'm contemplating, I kind of sit there, mull it over. But when it comes fast, I've found it's God's voice. But there's a threefold thing. It's not just that. It's not usually what I was just thinking. Mm-hmm. And number three, it always lines up with the word of God. Mm-hmm. So on this particular day going, how do I how do I do? You know, speaking on on God as a father, when I haven't gone there, I literally heard God say, "Remember when you were? I was about 23. I was living at home. He just immediately gave me a memory picture of being there, where I finally admitted I was angry at God, mm. but I had been raised by my dad, who was trained this way to believe that if you got angry at God, it was an unpardonable sin. Mm, right. But I couldn't hold it in anymore, and I sat there and said, "Okay, go ahead, God, strike me dead." And I wasn't kidding. Mm. I literally thought I'd crossed the line with God as a father but I couldn't push it down. It was like, I'm not okay with you, God. And I'm so angry. I was when all my stuff started coming up, the yeah, memories. Yeah. And literally he said, this was only seven years ago. Remember that? Who did you think would strike you dead, me or Jesus? And I went, oh, no, I, no, I, thought, I thought that was a big guy. Would have done that work. And he said, mm-hmm, see, I was there. Then he reminded me in 91, I was 31 years old in my counseling and I'd drawn out Psalm 18. And I drew a picture. We talked about journaling with pictures. Mm-hmm. You can even do that with scripture. And I drew this picture of a big hand drawing me out of deep waters that were too powerful for me. And he said, remember that picture? I remembered it immediately. He said, whose hand was drawing you out of the deep water? Mine or Jesus. And I went, no, I knew that was God. That was the father. And he said, see, I've been there. Mm-hmm. You just didn't know it. And I think for me and my journey, adding in the father piece The past number of years, which Dave Paddy talks about in his book, Father God, Daring to Draw Near, he has templates for looking at how God spoke to his son, Jesus, when he was baptized, right? Mm -hmm. That he was saying, you're my son and you, my well-pleased. Listen to him. I'm here with you. And that for those that haven't had a father fill in that place of their identity or their purpose, I I just want to highly recommend that if you've never looked at all three persons of the Trinity... Is they come together in all wholeness and fullness, representing that which we may not have gotten here on earth and right. may feel like we got shortchanged in our journey, but that God comes in as a father, Jesus as a brother, right? We read in Scripture as an ally, as a brother, and then the Holy Spirit as a nurturer, comforter, is very much a female esque part of the Trinity, mm-hmm. that we have a healthy family. Within the Trinity, that if you are living a story, even like mine, where I have a relationship with my dad, but my abuse with grandfather mm-hmm. stuff, in the file in my brain, it created a gap right. between me and God as a father. What was it like for you then, Mark, as an 11-year-old, to lose a dad with your relationship with God as a father?
3: Well, I think that I think that's a really great question, both for me and I think for people listening, because no matter what... Distance we want to put there, the truth is we were we we've all been raised in families mm-hmm. we all have some kind of experience of male and female sort of parents or caretakers that have been flawed humans, and sometimes they've just been flawed they've done their best, but they've just been flawed humans, and sometimes they've done terrible things mm-hmm. and that that experience has shaped us profoundly and so then when we come to think about our life of uh relationship with god and our and our religious journey. It's easy for us to overlook how those two things intersect and how they shape us. You know, So my, my dad died unexpectedly when I was 11, and it took me years and years and years and years to look back and see that my interior life journey was all about finding and being mm. a father, right? Needing, yeah. yes. needing a mentor, needing someone to offer guidance, or being that strong mm-hmm. one myself— and it, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. I ended up in relationships that maybe weren't healthy because of it. You know, I, I played roles that weren't healthy because I was, because I was trying to live into that empty space. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's very common. Yeah. Lots of
2: people have that kind of experience: a father wound or right. a father void, or a right. mother wound or mother void. Right. And looking for someone else to fill in what only our Creator can fill. Right. And so it's really
3: important to be to begin to really think about those connections. Right. God wants to bring us healing, but God isn't going to magically heal the things that we haven't
2: opened up. Right. And I want to add one more piece that I've learned. I forget where I got this, but I love this truth that if you have a problem with God as a father, but you're really good with Jesus, ask Jesus to introduce you to the other two in the (laughs) Trinity. You start with the one that you can relate best to because they're all three in one. And ask that one. If you're good with the Holy Spirit, I've had some people say, especially in my counseling office, I, I'm good with the Holy Spirit, but that Jesus person scares me, maybe because of the masculinity piece sure, or sure. God as a father. But then you start with the one that you do relate to, and they will always be happy, that one, to introduce you right. to the other two. Right. And, and again, just talking about my own story, I don't know how to put words to what it is meant to me to add the father piece in. In fact, a few years ago, I wrote a poem. Just I called it Looking Back, where I was saying, here's where I am now, and here's what I would have told the me 25 years ago that Uh I wish I knew now, and much of it really honestly did have to do with God as a father. Can I read you just a little part of it? Yes, absolutely. I want to hear it. So I said, then Jesus cried out to his father. I'm picking that up right in the middle. In his moment of excruciating pain, he modeled their depth of engagement. And I'm talking about him and the father. Mm -hmm. He knew there would be greater gain. When I went through similar torment, I was afraid to get close to God. And by God, I mean the Father. I thought he was a scary facade. But Jesus knew I needed connection. So he stepped in and showed me his face. I only learned much later. They were both there with me giving grace.
3: Hmm.
2: Back then, I didn't trust the Father. I thought Jesus was all I did need. But in time, I came to understand that his dad could stop the bleed. I wish now that I had run faster to my father, the one whose hands have my name tattooed on them. They give safety and a place to land. Jesus escorted me to his father who tells me I'm part of his fam. He says, I never have to be alone. He accepts me just as I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, I'm living proof that you can have healing in your relationship with the Trinity. As like Mark and I have talked about today, you open up and are vulnerable by trusting someone else yeah. to get close enough to your stuff. To help hold it with you. Right. As like we read in scripture, they lower you down through the roof uh-huh. on the mat right. to Jesus, right. the only one that can truly heal. But I love that God lets us participate in the miracles. He lets us be a part of the story. And you and I wouldn't be where we are if people hadn't gotten close to us in our stuff. Right. That's and not just rejected us, but said, I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm going to walk with you till you're to the place where you can basically feed yourself. <laughs> I'm going to walk with with you and do it for you. And I think today is really a day about us reflecting together and looking back on where we've been and wanting to give a shout out to those that are listening today that may feel like they're in a broken place, that they're down in a dark hole. And we're saying that God that has met us and allowed people to come and walk with us is here to meet you too. And as you open up your heart to him, we know he's a God that pursues. He goes after the one. He leaves the 99 and says, you're worth it. You're valuable to me. And I'm going to bring my healing love to you through the people of God. That's right. Well, this has been a fun conversation. I can't believe we're getting close to being done. This is the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson. The Dad Whisperer we will be back in a minute.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Dr. Michelle Watson and I host the Dad Whisperer every Monday at two thirty PM on ninety-three point nine KPDQ, right here at the same station that Georgine has every week, and I'm so honored that she would let me sit in for her today. And then every Thursday at two PM, you can also listen to the Dad Whisperer then. And it's been a joy today to have my friend, Mark Alinchelsky, with me as we've been talking about what it's like to be a people of God who are connected to their emotions and their spirit. And we've only got a few minutes left. How about, Mark, if you just summarize, what's a takeaway that you want people today to really go home with, if you will?
3: Well, I think the big takeaway is this. Uh, We are called to grow in Christ, right? That's that Ephesians passage that God wants us to mature in the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus was asked, you know, for that central statement of what life was like, he said, "'Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself.'" That includes all of you. That includes Mm -hmm. your emotions. Your emotions are part of who God made you to be. They're not a defect. They're not a flaw. They're not something for you to hide or cover up. They have a purpose God gave them to you. And so if you have brokenness in the area of your emotions, then it's a part of your Christian discipleship to pursue healing in that place. Mm -hmm. God will meet you there. The Holy spirit will be there and that will help you in that process of growing. That's critical. It's a part of our life. Churches need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. If, If your church is having these conversations, that's amazing. If your church isn't, you need to find a place to have this conversation.
2: Oh, I love it. And we're really saying today that God has made us biopsychosocial spiritual beings. That's right. And we're going to be healthier if we tune into all of that. Yep. Well, how about, Mark, if we both just end with saying how people can find us? So I'll start by saying you can go to my website at drmichellewatson.com. I also have a link to my book that is for dads of daughters, helping them to engage with the emotional spaces Mm -hmm. of their girls. And it's just simply called, Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You. A Guide for Connecting with Your Daughter's Heart. And I also have the book now available on Audible. Yay. So for dads that don't want to read, they can listen to it. And I also have re- free resources at drmichellewatson.com. How about you, Mark? How can people get a hold of you?
3: Perfect. Well, everything I do, you can find it from my website, which is markalanshelsky.com. Which you will
2: have to spell. All right.
3: M-A- com. Yes. Do, do your
2: last name again. so they
3: S-C-H-E-L-S-K-E. MarkGalichowski.com. And so there you can link off to my book, which is on Amazon and all the other places, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. I also do a podcast that's about practical spiritual growth called The Apprenticeship Way. The uh, episode that I uh, let uh, loose yesterday was about how to find uh, peace which is really talking mm-hmm. about this inner life stuff. And uh, it's some principles that I learned through my emotional recovery process that I think really profoundly helped me. And so you can check that out as well. And you can find me all over the internet and social media of just like uh, just like Michelle.
2: Yeah, because we love connecting with people and bringing our authentic self, don't we, to relationships. Right. And we just want to encourage people that may be in a dark valley, where you feel alone and like you can't even find one person that validates or understands what you're going through. Yes. We just want to say. You are not alone. You're not alone. There, there are the people. Just keep knocking till you find someone out there, and you have a God that adores you and yes. that is with you in the valley of the shadow of death, and he's right there as your shepherd. Well, it's been a joy to be with you today. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer, signing off. Thank you, Georgine Rice, for letting me sit in your chair today and take care of your people and Mark Alan Chelski and I are signing off. Thanks for joining us today. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at KPDQ.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at four for more critical thinking for critical times on ninety-three point nine KPDQ